0: Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast Scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. It's Monday night and you know what that means. We are here to bother you once again. (laughs) That's what we do. We are professionals at that. Consistent bothering. Yes. It's our job. Tommy, how's it going with you?
1: Uh, pretty good. I actually uh was really excited today is now I stopped Sunday morning. I haven't been vaporizing at all. So I haven't, I, I threw the jewel out and everything. So, uh, I feel really good. So you stopped. Yeah, completely.
0: That was going to be my question for you. Yeah. So I, you actually threw the jewel out and everything.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know how I am with money. So if I had to start again, I'd have to go buy a whole new kit. And,
0: oh, that's perfect.
1: So I was like there's no way I'm going to go out and throw $30. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I just and like there's no way I'm fucking doing it. So I was like, here's an easy way to do it. That's what I did. You know what when I uh when I quit smoking, um I was such a, you know, this is like that the way your brain thinks when you're like addicted to stuff like that, but like cigarettes aren't nearly as strong as people make it out to be, but I know um when I was drinking like and I would at smoke Like, Mm -hmm. I I would, I've done, like, gross stuff before where I've, like, dropped a cigarette on a floor, like, in, like, a, you know, crappy bar and picked it up and smoked it.
0: Yeah, I used to pick up cigarette butts out of my backyard when I had one, when I was, like, still high, and I would light, I would light them and re-smoke them. It was was gross.
1: So, you know what I did? This is, like, uh, my swan song with cigarettes was I had, I bought a pack, and I smoked, I smoked Pall Mall Blue. Yeah. So um I, I took a pack and I smoked one night like outside where I was just having cigarettes, just I'm listening to them. That's what my routine was, is I would, you know, put my headphones on and just put music on and uh listen. And a lot of times I just took my iPod out and shuffled through stuff and listened to old songs. Yeah. and kind of just stared off at the sky. So when I had my full my fill of cigarettes and I was like, That's enough, um, I took the pack and I put them on the ground and then I peed on them because I knew that was gross enough for me not to go in the garbage can later and pull them out.
0: Now, you peed on them. Did you have to pick them up and throw them in the trash?
1: Great question. I did. I oh. did have to pee on them and, t- and touch them.
0: So, Dude. Yeah. Did you wash your hands after? Of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I immediately went inside and, and touched my daughter's face.
0: <laughs> that, that's all I'm going to be able to think about now when I, when I see you.
1: Is me peeing like my touching my like it's like uh, what's the, the Seinfeld thing like the unclean like because she he dropped the uh, toilet the pizza toothbrush. dough. Oh no, I was thinking about the the toothbrush when he drops it, yeah, and he accidentally knocks hers in the toilet and then yeah, it's gonna be like that. Yeah. yeah, you're just gonna have to every time you touch my hand, you're gonna have to like immediately use hand sanitizer.
0: Yeah, well, we have to do that now anyway, so it's all good. That's true. You know, I'm such a fiend with the jewel that. I held on to the the stick that you put the cartridge in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I have one. I was like, this thing costs 30 bucks. I don't want to throw it away. And then I found one in an airport, in LaGuardia Airport. Yeah. So I was like, all right, a backup. Now I can have two in case. Because, you know, it, it's like a panic when that thing, when that battery runs out and you oh, can't yeah. hit it. So I still have the two sticks and I have them in a drawer. I don't usually go in. So sometimes I open it and I'm like, <gasps> but... Uh, You know, I haven't gone back. But it took me a while to quit. Even when I quit, I would still take hits, and I would still do it occasionally.
1: But eventually, I just completely stopped. Yeah, see, I think the thing is, I'm not around anybody that does it. I don't know anybody that does it, except for, like, at the skate park. Uh, there's Mm -hmm. a couple guys that do it but i'm not gonna walk up to them and be like hey man let me uh hey i know there's a really contagious pandemic going around (laughs) but let me just go ahead and put my mouth on that thing that you obviously just put your mouth on (laughs) like so
0: yo that's what saved me i I went for coffee with a friend near my house and he pulled out the jewel and was hitting it and instinctively i was instantly gonna be like yo let me get a hit of that Uh, but then i remembered that there's a global pandemic and i and
1: I was like, oh, probably not a good idea. So that saved me. That's good. Because it's uh it it's been I you know what's really um I, I was never like a carry it around all day kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I would have it downstairs with me and then periodically, like if I had a really rough class, I would take like a puff or so. Yes. Um, but I it mainly lived in a drawer upstairs in my bedroom. Uh, so Sunday night, I I stopped Sunday morning. I literally took it to the skate park with me, um, and skated Sunday morning and then threw it out. Uh, so it was like, all right, I don't have it anymore. Uh, Sunday night getting to bed was hard, but that was about, that was about it. I think that's what I, my real, like, that's my crutch. Like that's when I used it the most was when I was like in bed laying down, uh, yes. watching TV. Like I would, I, I watch the same like eight TV shows before I go to bed. So, you know, did
0: you get to try mango cartridges before you stopped?
1: I didn't. I didn't get to try uh. those. However, I did find a place online that had um different flavored ones, but they they were like uh, the disposables. You know, like they didn't have like the the pods. Um, yeah, I don't like those. They were like, and they were more expensive. They were like nine dollars.
0: Every other knockoff vape thing would make me feel like shit.
1: Oh, this one was really good. I like this one a lot, but they were like really hard to get. Um, Well, now we're out. We're done. That's it. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, like with the, you know, with me, spending money is such a huge thing. I'm always like, you know, so concerned with, I can't, I got to make sure I save all my money. And
0: (laughs) we know you can't spring for a Spotify premium. No, you're buying uh, bootleg mics on eBay and then having to return them.
1: I had I, I bought uh, pants this weekend at, at Co- Costco at Costco. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, well, hold on. When you went to go buy them, did you think about all of our conversations and the conversation with Romy and hesitate at all?
1: No. So here's what happened. Uh, I don't uh, I don't go to the store without getting into like a whole thing, like I've talked about it on here before, but like I, I don't have my spleen. So like um, my immune system's not really great. So if I get COVID, it's, it's going to be kind of disastrous, especially with my history of smoking. It's probably not a great idea either. Um, but Kelly goes to everything like Costco and the supermarket and stuff like that. But she went to Costco and she was walking through and she said, hey, don't you need a new pair of sweatpants? And I was like, I do. And- Wait,
0: you need a new pair of sweatpants?
1: Yeah, I have meaning a pe- you have an existing
0: pair of sweatpants that are no longer functional,
1: they're functional, but they um I was drinking coffee in them. And I, I spilled they're like light, light gray, and I spilled coffee on them and they have like this permanent it didn't. St- it's just like stained in the front and it looks like a weird yellow sting. So it kind of looks like I peed my pants. So she was like, you have to get rid of those. So, um, of course, I didn't. I just rolled them up in a ball and put them back in the drawer so she can't see them. But um, when she was walking through Costco, she was like, hey, they have Puma sweatpants here, and they look nice, and they're like $13. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so she just, you know, with everything like that, she always just sends me a picture on on her phone. So she was like, So hey. now
0: you're buying pants and sweatpants at Costco. Yeah, don't you see that your life is spiraling out of control right buy, before your very
1: eyes? I buy my socks there. I,
0: well, I, socks is fine. I, I buy, buy socks at Target, you know?
1: I buy Puma socks there. I buy um, their Kirkland brand underwear. It's called 32 Degrees. They're amazing, dude. They're so good. And I, I, that's what I asked for for Christmas. So the pants I got, I don't even have them. Kelly said they're my Christmas present, so.
0: Dude, Christmas is like three months away.
1: You don't understand. You don't understand. My closet is literally, she has presents. She starts buying for people in May or June. What? Yeah, dude. Wow. She's always, well, that's she's, good because it takes the pressure off. She's like a bargain hunter too. So she's always like one of these people that as soon as she gives the gift, it's like the most tacky thing in the world to do, but she gets so excited about it. She'll be like, you won't believe what I paid for that shirt. Yeah, you know, it's a gift, so don't tell people, like, <laughs> like you shouldn't just, like, brag about, hey, eh, that shirt was only $12. It's like, stop. Like, people don't want to hear that about something you just gave to them. Folks, tonight we're going to be talking to Nathan
0: Ellis of the Casket Lottery and Coles. Can you believe that? But geez, those two bands, and Esque is right up there. In my top two of greatest metalcore bands of all time with botch and they're probably the the heavy band i go back to the most
1: i think that's one of those cds that i i kept in my car like when i cycle through cds in my car because i do have a cd player still i don't use my i don't have an mp3 thing for my car Mm -hmm. so um i i I just listen to cds and i change the cds out in that wallet like i don't know like every three you know three four months and Mm -hmm give them rope has never left <laughs> yeah world. never
0: i listen i listen to functioning on impatience a lot and that 73 degrees slash oh. something else ep yeah, yeah 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 that those five songs are just they're my
1: led zeppelin
0: two or three yeah. or whichever one
1: people like I do don't you remember know. do you remember the one uh they remember they did the whole led zeppelin album yeah uh that's, that? I think
0: that's why I like Led Zeppelin.
1: There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Yeah, I um really you didn't get into Led Zeppelin in like grade school or high school?
0: Uh no, classic rock never really took with me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do like Led Zeppelin though. They're one of the few bands one of the few classic rock bands that I actually enjoy. I'll never put them on, but I wouldn't turn them off either.
1: Yeah, I actually when I'm flipping through the radio stations like it, this is actually one battle I had the other day with the girls in the car. And I was like, you know what? You guys are right. The six-year-olds win. There was two songs on one was Van Halen's jump. And the other one was, um, Led Zeppelin. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know the yeah. name of that fucking song, but whatever. Yeah. So that, uh, the girls were like, I was like, all right, which one do you want to hear? And they both immediately were like, we want jump. And I was like, you know what? That's a Actually, I choose jump too. like that's Yeah. A, it's a better song. It's a way jump. Better song. Is, jump is
0: better than that. Led Zeppelin song for sure.
1: Yeah. Did you, uh, this is like, I, I probably old. I mean, by the time this airs, crisis is old news, but like, uh, I didn't know. I, I, I knew who Eddie Van Halen was and I, you know, obviously listened to Van Halen growing up, but like, I wasn't like a huge, like getting into Van Halen kind of thing. Like, and there was a bunch of articles that came out after he passed away. I didn't mm-hmm. know this. I think it was two years in a row or three years in a row. He won um like the whatever county, I guess Santa Monica County mm-hmm. um piano competition. As what? like a 13, 14, and 15 year old. Yeah, Eddie Van Halen was like a really, really great piano player. And he admitted in the this was the whole point of the article. He admitted in the article like, I don't know how to read music. So I would just memorize these, like, you know. Fairly long pieces, and people would always go, you know, that was such an amazing interpretation. And he's like, I don't know how to fucking play this song right. Like, I would just improvise portions of it because I didn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sight read. He is like a
0: a genius. He changed the landscape of modern rock music, and I, I didn't, I knew that somewhat, but I don't really listen to Van Halen. But hearing everything. After his death, you you just see that his influence is massive.
1: Oh, yeah. And it was like, actually, there was a bunch of people that posted stuff right after he passed. And I was like, clicking through one of them. It was an old video. Um, God, that guy's like a a political person now. But uh, he was like an MTV reporter. I forget his name. Chris something. And Mm -hmm. he was like going through Eddie Van Halen's uh, studio that he has built at his home. Mm -hmm. And he has all these old... um, you know, like I guess that recordings like the digital audio tape stuff. And he was like going through it and he was like pointing at this wall. And he's like, you know um, we have a ton of stuff recorded in here. And he's like, and periodically I just go through it. And he was like, you know uh, I was doing stuff from, I, I think it was right after they wrote 1984. He was like, we went back to that period and I started going through some of the recordings and he goes, that's where uh remember the piano song that they wrote right now yeah that was with hagar he was like that that song was written in 1985 he was like that was on one of these old dat tapes and it had just been shelved because we couldn't <laughs> find a place for it wow can you, can you imagine writing that song and then being like yeah fucking throw it on a shelf like Are, really no. like <laughs> the,
0: that song is synonymous with crystal pepsi in my mind because that was the song for the crystal pepsi ad campaign oh yeah shit look up the commercial it's very inspiring that's I, I think I think because of that song.
1: Yeah, that's a great song.
0: God damn it! Oh yeah, yeah. One night I they were talking about them on the Stern Show. I don't know. This was like six years ago, so I got really high and stayed up and listened to all their records, or like you know the big ones. I don't remember if they were good or not, but I hope they were.
1: Slippery when wet is really good. The for under carnal knowledge or for. Yeah, I think that that one that that is really really good. And then 1984 is just fucking. That's one of those records I remember my sisters just having, and it was just like constantly like it. It sat at the front of the record pile because my sisters always played it.
0: Yeah. Well, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. You will be missed. Yeah,
1: wasn't yeah was he on Stern a lot? I kind of remember this now.
0: No, I think only once back in the day. But David Lee Roth has been on a couple times. Sammy Hagar has been on a bunch of times and Sammy Hagar would always tell a lot of good stories about that band. I always enjoyed those interviews.
1: Yeah. David Lee Roth. Remember he had the radio show for a little bit in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was that? bizarre. That was a really bizarre time. Cause I remember I, I actually turned it on the one day and he had a really cool, his story was awesome, but in my head I'm going like, how much material does he really have like he's lived a really cool life but he was telling a story his father is um a physician yeah at a, at a prison in california for the, like the california penal system i don't i don't know which prison um but david lee roth is also an emt he's like a certified emt like he
0: yeah he would talk about that a lot i think the one time i listened he was talking about that yeah. and for for being david lee roth i figured there had to be better stories. Yeah. I mean, even, even with our show, every week I'm like, the fuck are we going to talk about? But <laughs> s- somehow we always pull through it and keep it moving.
1: Yeah, you would think spending 30 years in one of the biggest bands in the fucking world, you would have something cooler to talk about. He probably can't talk about the coolest stuff. You know what I'm saying? Uh yeah. He's got like yeah. one of those non-disclosure agreements and he had to like sign his life away.
0: A lot of stuff probably went down back in the day, but... Oh, I'm sure. We're going to talk to Nathan Ellis now of the Casket Lottery and Coalesce, so here he is. Enjoy. All right, folks, now we're here with Nathan Ellis. Woo! Nathan, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is extremely exciting for us because we love the Casket Lottery, and of course, we love Coles, and it's going to be a good time. Awesome. So let me ask you right away, Casket Lottery, did they play a gig recently?
2: Yeah, we did, actually. We played Saturday night at a... Um, it's this totally temporary venue here in Kansas City called Lemonade Park, which is basically... Um, it, it's the alleyway behind a couple of restaurants, and they have it set up, uh, you know, socially distant uh, with uh, picnic tables 10 feet apart, and we played on the back of a like a flatbed truck basically that had it set up and um, it was kind of wild because uh, just past what um, is Lemonade Park is a giant empty parking lot. So like, I mean, we're playing to, I I think there was probably a hundred people in total in this giant fenced in area, but all you can see is this vast empty parking lot. So it was, (laughs) it was a little awkward, but, but yeah, we did it It the first show of the year and and uh, yeah, it was a little awkward, but we, we got through it.
0: That must feel incredible because shows are such a impossible commodity now. Like they don't exist and you got to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you take what you can get, right? I mean, yeah, we, we were excited um, to get asked to do it. It was a benefit show for one of the uh, best, most important local venues here in town called Record Bar. Uh, mm-hmm. And honestly, when you know they when they were setting it up and we got invited, there was no hesitation. You know, uh, anything to support you know, a venue in a time like this, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. They don't know where rent's coming from for November, you know? So, yeah. um, So, so we were, we were very excited to be able to help contribute in that way for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I wonder about that too. When is live music going to happen again? Will it happen again? What are, what are all these venues doing? I mean, it would be a real shame if a lot of the great venues out there just ended up shutting down. Yeah, and a lot of them have,
2: you know, uh, already some some of my favorite venues from uh, across the country. I know that Great Scott in Boston's already closed, and um, oh. and, and there's a hand, you know, a handful of, of venues that are just hanging on at this point. And you know, it's not like January we're, we're going to be good to go. You know, <laughs> it's going to be a minute. So, uh, you know, especially for like a, a band like us, you know, like I said, we're you know playing in this. Um, basically this alleyway that leads into a parking lot. We want to play in these smaller rooms where everybody's elbow to elbow and sweating yes. and spitting on each other. And, and God, I can't even picture it now. You know, it's going to be a minute.
0: Yeah, like, Tommy, imagine going to an All Else Failed show in the age of COVID. Like, people just falling on top of you, crawling on top of the crowd. You know, it's just, it doesn't seem like it could ever happen again.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's so far removed from our current reality that it is going to be, that first time back is going to be amazing. But again, it's one of those things that when is that going to be? And I, I keep looking up things about, uh, like, is there going to be a vaccine available and how, how far off is it? How effective is it going to be? Like it, it it's, it's very like, depending on where you look, you hear so many different varying things. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And well, Nathan, let's take it back a little bit. So did you grow up in Kansas city?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I moved to town here, uh, and uh, I think I was about ten, ten years old when I moved to Kansas City. Before that, I lived in a smaller suburb of Columbia, which is a university town here in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri. Uh, the, the suburb was called Midway, um, but but yeah, I've spent all my uh, important years here in Kansas City. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about your background. What was your family life? What was it like growing up around there?
2: Well, um, so, my my dad was a Missouri State Highway Patrolman. He's retired law enforcement now. So, um, I did move a few times because of that. Um, my mom always did like clerical work around um, office, office buildings and stuff like that. I have an older sister who's about five years older than me. So, she's the one who kind of got me started in uh Interested in music, you know bands like The Cure and and Morrissey and Susie and the Banshees and stuff like that. Um But really, when I moved to Kansas City, is when I started skateboarding and and yes. and I met all my you know friends through through skateboarding. And of course, then it was you know sharing tapes, you know, and getting into Minor Threat and Fugazi and all the Discord stuff. And then eventually, like local Kansas City bands like Boys Life and Giant's Chair and Shiner and coalesce
0: did you ever get to see giants chair they're just awesome
2: many times yeah uh yeah I mean, uh, uh, we played with them not too long ago they're they're still they're still kicking they put out a, a new record last year too
0: oh really see yeah. i didn't i didn't even know that that's awesome now i've got something new to check out yeah they're classic shiner too
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, and they're still rolling. They just put out a new record. They, play, they actually played that Lemonade Park about a month ago, a uh, local socially distant venue that I was just talking about. So they just played that here a month ago. Uh, I think that they just played new record stuff, and uh, yeah, they're still crushing.
0: Dude, I totally forgot about that new Shiner record. I, I'm not listening to as much music because I used to always listen to music when I was walking somewhere, getting on the subway getting to the destination, and now that that's not really a thing anymore, music has taken a plunge. So I'll just, like, I don't know, I'll cram it in on weekends. So tell us about the scene in Kansas City. Now, back in the day when I heard Colesque and Kansas City as a kid, I just imagined, like, wheat fields and long drives and, and that type of thing. <laughs> in Bucks County, where we grew up, This it's very suburban uh, shopping malls, strip malls, you know, VFW halls to go to shows, heavily suburban like that. So, what was it like in Kansas City? It,
2: pretty much the same. Um, you know, Kansas City is a city, and it, it, I think it's one of the largest um, sprawl cities there is in the U.S. because there is such a vast um, sprawl of suburbs all around Kansas City. I mean, it's kind of giant. Um, But to your point, to get here, of course, for touring bands, you are driving through cornfields and and long drives to get here, you know. If you're, you know, routing a tour uh, and and you're hitting Kansas City, odds are your next show is Denver, which is 10 hours away, or Chicago, which is 8 hours away. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we're kind of, you know, in that in that spot, you know, what they call flyover country.
1: But I always I always think of uh what it looks like. Do you know the the cover from um Boys Life, Landfalls and Departures? Sure. Or departures. Mm-hmm. It, that, that's what I always think of when I think of like Midwest. I'm always like, oh, just like open field and a and a windmill off in the distance with like yeah. flowing grain below it. <laughs> I mean wherever that
2: picture was taken it was thirty minutes from here.
1: You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you, you throw a rock
2: and it was that direction, you know? So Um, Yeah, that exists here too, for sure.
0: So, around what age were you skateboarding and starting to discover all the hardcore and punk bands?
2: Well, I really started skating probably around 13, but I really got into the music scene probably around 14, 15. Um, That's when I started going to shows and had friends and bands and stuff like that. Um, I I started playing in my first band at the age of 15. Um, that's when I first saw, uh, like, Neurosis, or, you know, some some of these bands that blew my mind and and changed my life. Um, yeah, at 15.
0: Yeah, Neurosis is one of those bands that changed a lot of musicians' lives, I think. I know some friends of mine in bands, they always cite Neurosis as, like, yeah, that's what, that's one of the bands that changed things.
2: Well, and they were different. So, uh, you know, all of... (laughs) all of the bands that I'd seen before Neurosis seemed like other skate kids from other towns, you know, it was like all (laughs) these other kids who just seemed like my friends, but they came from Chicago with their band and played. Um, And then Neurosis rolled into town and they came in a giant school bus and with all their wives and, and kids and dogs and like, played in this small room with scaffolds so they could, like, shoot their projection behind them. They were scary, you know? They were like, (laughs) they, they, you know, they were a completely different experience than other hardcore kids, you know?
0: I was at a show where they played, I think I was 16 or 17, but I could not I wasn't even close to being able to comprehend it at that time. Mm. Like, Candiria went on before them, and I, I watched them, and that's all I was listening to at the time. And then I think I st- stood outside for the rest of the time. And you know what? I wish I hadn't.
2: No, you missed it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> it was awesome, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, so what was the f- what was the uh, first band you were in?
2: Uh, so I was in a couple different um bands that were uh, different variations of, like, Helmet or Giant's Chair, or Boy's Life, Kill Creek kind of bands. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, no-name high school bands that never did anything. The first band that I ever actually joined that did anything was Coalesce, and that was when I was about 17 years old.
0: So, you were 17 when you joined that band? Yeah. Jesus. I can't. I can't even imagine that, because to this day, I listen to their music, and I'm like, how? Why? <laughs> like what? How walking into that? Situ- you must have been pretty skilled walking into that band and being able to hold your own.
2: Well, the interesting thing is, I'd never played bass before joining Coalesce. I was a guitar guy, so what? Um, and I'd played shows with Coalesce with my other bands, and uh, I knew those guys, you know, pretty well, and I. would you know, hopped in the van with him and gone to shows out of town and gone to festivals out of town. And so, like, we knew each other, you know, and I was around. So, when Stacy decided that he wasn't interested in playing with Coalesce anymore, Jess called me and said, hey, do you want to come play bass? And um, I had already enrolled in... I was just going to a community college as soon as I graduated. But... Um, as soon as I got that invite, I got my tuition money back and bought base equipment and and spent you know <laughs> the rest of the time in the van.
0: And I have to say, thank you for doing that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I appreciate it too. In hindsight, you know, it was it was kind of a scary move, and you know, of course, my parents were a little hesitant, but they always just thought, oh, he'll do this for a year or two and then and then get back to school. And I just you know never did.
0: Yeah, were they supportive of you playing music and touring? My parents were. I, I was on a couple tours with a band, selling merchandise, and I was in bands and out there, and they they were always supportive. Plus, they didn't want to pay for me to go to college, so when I decided to drop out, they were like, "All right." Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know,
2: uh, yeah, they were supportive. They they were supportive. Um, you know, when I was fifteen and started playing and and. Bands in my basement, you know and and it was my house that was always the loud house, so um yeah they were they were always down with that and, and you know, and looking back, like some of those um, decisions i think um I, I can't believe that they went in my favor like that like I remember calling my mom uh from out of town. Um, and this was before I was in Coalesce. I just hopped in the van with them, and they thought I was in like Omaha or Wichita. They knew I was went out of town for some shows with with Coalesce. And I called them, and I was like, "No, I'm in Canada." I, you know, I was in Toronto, and I didn't even have a coat, and it was snowing. You know, and my mom's like, "What the hell?" You know, but they were they were always cool with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's how I convinced my parents to get me a cell phone in 2002. I was like, "Well, I'm going on tour." And you're gonna be wanna be able to reach me, so you should buy me a cell phone. And they were like, okay. Joining Cole last you joined around ninety-eight, I think. Yep. Right before they were gonna record Functioning on Impatience. Yep. So let's talk about that. Now that mm-hmm. that is right up there as one of the Metalcore all-time greats for me. It's a record I go back to time and time again. It's my Led Zeppelin 2 or 3 or would you know whichever one, one people p- yeah whatever one yeah, people
1: pick at this point
0: <laughs> whatever the most classic one is this that's this coalescer record to me so let's talk about recording that sure set the stage well, for us
2: well that was the first project that i that i was contributing on you know before that i had recorded um like the Get Up kids split the boy sets fire split the right. i think we did a, a black sabbath cover for the Hydra Head Split series. And oh, then we yeah. also re-recorded um, Zero Zero Two songs. And so, like, I had recorded all of those songs with him, but I didn't have any part in in writing any of that stuff. You know, that was all just kind of, you know, Jess putting putting the songs together. But Functioning was the first time where he and I were, like, bouncing ideas back and forth and um, coming up with with song structures and and uh, all the, the riffs and parts together. So... Um, yeah, that was my first experience really writing with Coalesce. And it, it, it obviously, working with Jess, who's just kind of bonkers out of his mind, mad scientist guy, um, mm-hmm. influenced all my writing moving forward, like even to this day.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, what kind of influences were you guys working with? Because Coalesce is just an incredibly unique band. There's not much else out there like it.
2: Yeah it's funny like if you ask Jess back in the day and when we're working on functioning he'll he'll say like Oh, this just sounds just like Metallica, and I'm like, N- it really doesn't, dude. No. Like, I don't know what you're hearing, but like, like he just always thought, oh, I'm just ripping off Metallica or Pantera, and I'm like, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's probably like how you're, you know, envisioning it, but like what's coming out is something completely different. Yeah, uh, and so I would say like those were definitely Jess's influences. Metallica was like his number one always, mm-hmm. um, but then we would play with all these. Um, local Kansas City noise bands and Chicago noise bands and bands like Craw or um uh there was a couple local versions of of Craw and other just noisier bands like Glazed Baby and Quitters Club and mm-hmm. um, bands like that, Iron Right Mangle. Um and so like that that noisy influence um just kind of mashed together with with thrash riffs is is kind of what Jess was working with. And then what happened was a completely different thing, you know?
0: Yeah. So, that that's when the truly unique stuff s- seems to come out, when you're mixing different sounds, different genres, different influences, and it just kind of bubbles out into this unique thing.
2: Yeah. And I don't think, you know, he could write any other way. Yeah. You know? And, and um of course, you know, I came in with a completely different way of writing, and that just kind of messed it up even... Further, you know, it like I, you know, I fucked up his vision even more. <laughs> you know, <just> like, <laughs> like, like, oh, does this sound like Metallica? Of course it doesn't. It's something stupid, but it worked in a coalesce song. So, um, you know, and I was just a 17 year old kid trying to contribute and, and um, come up with anything that would impress him, honestly.
0: I think that's amazing that you did that at that age and mission accomplished because every instrument from the voice to the guitar to the bass to the drums it's just all crisp perfect sounding recording everything really stands out on its own like that that bass riff where you just let it ring in the beginning of uh, a new language oh yeah like I, I i can just hear it right now in my head
2: yeah it's been a minute since i heard that <laughs> <laughs> i think i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah
0: just that do you ever yeah. go back and listen to your to your own music
2: uh sometimes um yeah I mean, I listened to coalesce ox record not too long ago, and it it had been a minute since I yeah. did that and um, yeah, I go back and listen, of course, you know when when you're working on a record, like we just finished that cascalaterary record, yes, that's like you know that is just such a part of your life for. Uh, you know, going on a year now, yes. like, revisiting mixes and demos and all that stuff. So, like, I know all those songs super well right now, but eventually, like, I'll move on to the next thing, you know, and and that will be what takes over my, my listening of my own songs, you know?
0: Yeah, um, that, like, that's how it goes for me. I put out a record a couple years ago, and you know, you listen to it a lot when it's getting made. And then when it's out, I listen to it a lot. I'm like, hey, this is really good. And then eventually I got tired of it. <laughs>
2: sure. Yeah, I think that's how it works, right? Yeah. Like, and of course, you should be psyched on your own record, right? Like, especially yeah. like a finished product. that's finally out there in the world now. And you can listen to it and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of this. This is awesome.
0: If you don't like it, why would anybody else? Exactly. So for the, the coalesce Splits... Now you mm-hmm. you did a split with uh, Get Up Kids and also with Boys Sets Fire and you decided to cover each other's songs. How did you decide to do that?
2: I feel like that was a Sean Ingram idea, mm-hmm. um, and I know th- uh, there's some. Uh, my memory's a little fuzzy on this, but I know there was some like bad blood around that. Honestly, like I think. It was Sean's idea to do the Boy Sets Fire split first. Mm-hmm. And it like got delayed for a while or whatever. And like he said, okay, we're going to do this with the Get Up Kids too. We did it with the Get Up Kids. And then we did the Boy Sets Fire one. And the label who was doing the Boy Sets Fire thing was like, what the fuck did you... You just did this with the Get Up Kids. And Sean was like, yeah, you were taking too long, so we did it twice. <laughs> I think that's how that went down. Um, but uh, yeah, those that was... Sean Ingram's idea to do that stuff. But of course, like, you know, get up kids are a local Kansas city band too. And, um, at that point in time, like they were practicing at Jess's house. We shared a practice space. So mm-hmm. we knew those guys really well. And we were listening to them, write Their records. And yeah, we just kind of decided to do it, you know, uh, with, with friends. I don't know. I don't know how the boy sets fire thing happened. I think Sean just liked that record or something. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to sing those songs
0: the Cole's interpretation of the the boy sets fire song i forget what the song is called the i am no one i am nothing song mm-hmm. that is just incredible powerful like really really good i have fond memories of you know the my first girlfriend i was like getting high and we were like hanging out and i was like showing her the song and i'm like listen to this and it was just like you know it's just it's powerful stuff
2: Oh, thanks, man. I, I know that that's something that I haven't listened to in at least 10 years. I don't really remember that one.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, take my word for it. It's good. It's funny. I had I hadn't revisited it in a long time either, but I went through this whole life-changing thing, I don't know, three years ago, so I revisited a lot of stuff I was listening to when I was younger, and that was one of the songs. So I remember walking to the Blue Line in Chicago and putting that on and just feeling like shit, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I have to listen to song after song after song to get me through this, and that was one of the songs, so That's you should awesome. check it out. I'll check it out sometime. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to ask about the uh, the Led Zeppelin cover record. Now, I think I, I never got into classic rock. I don't know, it just never took. I'm just into all the post-genres and hardcore and emo and all that stuff, but I think Led's. I think Cole S got me into Led Zeppelin.
1: That's weird. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? a long way to walk to get to a, such an accessible band, dude. It was. Like, it was right there. The whole day. yeah.
0: Because we had our friend Brendan on from uh, Circa Survive, and he and we were talking about that record. And he's like, "Is that why you like Led Zeppelin? Because of Cole S? And I was like, "Yeah, probably."
2: I know the initial idea for that was we were going to do a covers record of like. 70s rock songs that was the, yeah. the initial thought and and we were gonna do you know uh you know a song by mountain a, a hendrix song you know some other songs and eventually it was like which which zeppelin song and it was like fuck five of them are amazing so we were yeah. just like fuck it it's it's a zeppelin record
0: <laughs> that's awesome and did you ever get any blowback from that
2: no not yet
0: Okay. Oh, yeah.
2: it's, it's been long enough. You're yeah, I think it's, I think um, I think we're in the clear.
0: I think you're in the clear. It cool. seems that blowback only happens when there's money involved.
2: Oh yeah, there was no money, so yeah. we're in the clear
0: then. Yeah, like if that record made ten million dollars, you would yeah. have heard something.
2: Yeah, nobody nobody took notice.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about that band some more. Now, I guess you guys broke up around '99 somewhere in there.
2: Yeah, that seems right.
0: 99. So it seemed just reading about the band it seems there was a lot of turmoil from inside forces and outside forces and it just seemed like you had a run of bad luck. So what what led to the circumstance of the breakup before uh,
2: 012? So, you know, I think just being around each other for so much time at such a young age when um everybody eventually just needed a fucking break you know and i i think uh that was a big part of it. everybody was at different stages of their life sean uh, the vocalist had a had a baby at home
1: mm-hmm. i was
2: i was a baby and uh you know and then Jess had like other interests um that didn't uh involve music at all and um you know it was just It was just too much happening at once. And then and then yeah, we were we were on a tour and our van broke down in in Idaho. And that was like (laughs) that was the breaking point. That's that's when that's when it all went down. Mm -hmm. I, I think mostly because like Sean as the vocalist and the young father it was also the band dad. And he was trying to like hold everything together. Mm-hmm. And Jess at that point was like, fuck yeah, that means tour's canceled. I can fly home. And it was just <laughs> like, uh, that was like the worst thing that could have been said, you know? And it was like, that was just too much. Um, there was just too much tension that it just finally all blew up and fell apart. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, Jess and Dan flew home from, from that, spot which was somewhere in Idaho and I know that Sean and James and I rented a U-Haul truck and and drove everything back to Kansas City like all our gear and we left that van like we just abandoned it in Idaho somewhere (laughs) Um, but like I was like riding in the back of a fucking box truck for 30 hours or whatever you know
0: oh my Um,
2: god it was yeah but that was tour back then it was fucking miserable and everything broke all the time and uh, but yeah, so we got home from that, and and we were still obligated um, to do a record with Relapse, who who gave us the money for that van. So like, <laughs> so we had to do a record uh, in order to, in order to pay for that van that was broken and abandoned in Idaho. That's kind of how 012 happened. We didn't even. We didn't even want to write a record at that point, you know? Yeah, um, I
0: remember hearing that. This is like before the internet was really a thing. I remember hearing, just hearing through the grapevine that the band was not getting along, but we have to do this record for relapse, and we're going to do it.
2: Yeah, and and we didn't... We put that record together in the practice space. I don't remember if Sean was there too often when we were practicing, or if we were just sending him... Tapes and saying, "All right, here are the songs." And mm-hmm. um, but I know that when we recorded it, we all recorded at different times.
0: Now, how do you do that?
2: James and Jess went in and recorded the guitars and drums, mm-hmm. um, and you know, this is back in the day when they probably did that in like two days, all the drums and guitars. Mm-hmm. And then I was on a casket lottery tour at that point, and I got home and went in and recorded all of the bass tracks in like three hours because I did it during a casket lottery session. So I did all, all the base stuff and like way too quick. And then like two weeks later, Sean went in and did the vocals. And I remember getting the mixes back. I was probably a month later or whatever. And, and being bummed, you know, like bummed because of how the process happened, you know, how that actually went down. And, um, that the songs were pretty rad, you know? Oh, and, yeah. And um but we missed out on on the fun times of being in the studio and recording a record and, and putting it together properly.
0: So was everyone that much at odds that they didn't even want to be in the studio together?
2: I I don't know if it was didn't want to be in the studio together. It just didn't need to happen at that point. And, you know, Sean you know, Sean always needed more time to like come up with his vocal patterns and stuff anyway. So it's not like he could have gone in there and banged him out on drum and guitar day, you know? Right. Um, He needed to sit with the songs as they were recorded for a while to put his patterns on them. And I was out of town. Um, So, I mean, that's, those are the circumstances around it. But if it would have been more important um, that we were all there, um, we would have made that happen. It was just kind of like, fuck it.
0: Yeah. And, well, it's a good thing it did happen because it's a classic record. And that first song, I go back to all the time, that has the really groovy Zeppelin uh, Mm -hmm. riff in the chorus. Ooh, that's so good. Yeah.
2: I remember liking, like, the first four songs on that record. (laughs) Kind of loses steam for me, like, towards the end.
0: Well, oh, and I was going to say, yeah, Sean, he must have to take a long time with those vocals because it's like... It's crazy. It's like an essay, and the patterns are so nuts. I don't even know how he physically does it.
2: He's a fucking master. Yeah, like, he's he's the best at it. And, and um, yeah. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Like everybody always talks about his voice, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and the particular like pitch of his voice, which is unique and in, yes. in its own right, but. Uh, his patterns and his lyrics are exceptional and especially like if you go back to before i was in the band and you listen to give them rope holy shit that's a
1: fucking master class i was yeah i was saying that uh nathan i don't have a mp3 player in my car so like i just have like i can't plug in like the auxiliary or anything like that so i just have cds mm-hmm. and i don't have a long commute to school but i have like it takes like 20 minutes, and I just constantly change out the CDs in my car, and one of the CDs that has stayed for the duration of me owning this car, so eight years now, has been Give Them Rope, has not left my car. Yeah, <laughs> I love years. that record. It's so good.
0: Yeah, I can walk down the street and just think of the first song on that record and get hyped up, <laughs> like like I'll get the tinglys down the back of my neck. It's happening right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean... I wasn't I wasn't in the band when that record came out but I was around the band when that yeah. record came out and I remember going out of town with them and um uh, and and when I got asked to be in that band like uh, you know I was so in love with that record that it was uh, you know what a th- thrill for a, a stupid kid to be, <laughs> to be <laughs> to be invited into that party
0: Yeah so what's it like then being in the band and playing those songs live like I would have just absolutely lost my mind
2: yeah, it was awesome, um, but you got to remember at that time, like Jess was always forward thinking, like he wanted to do the next thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I did play a lot of those songs with them, but we were talking about functioning on a patient's like pretty much my first day in the band. It was like, all right, next oh, wow. record though, here's what we're gonna do.
0: Wow. So. Um so did you did you so when uh zero when zero one two revolution and just listening came out, that was it the records out you guys didn't play again for at least another like three years right
2: right and in fact, that next iteration of coalesce did not uh, I wasn't involved in it, and neither was jess there oh, was right. yeah yeah there was another tour thing that that happened that um how it went down actually is um, I was invited to this diner in town. Sean and James said, Hey, we're we're talking about doing coalescing and, you know, come meet us over at Otto's. And I was like, okay, cool. And like I show up and I'm like looking around for Jess and they're like, Oh yeah, no, Jess isn't interested, but we wanted to know if you wanted to play guitar and Stacy will play bass. And I was like, no. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Like, that's, I just, I, I never thought that was the right decision. You know, to me, like, Coalesce is Jess and Sean. You know, it doesn't make sense to do it without either of those guys. So, so I bounced. They found another guy to, to play guitar and Stacy went back and played bass on that tour. And that was just a tour thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing about that. I was away at college for the one semester I went. And I was like, I need to drive back to catch that. And I didn't. But you know what? It's okay, because I eventually saw you again. Nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there was plenty of people who did go to that tour and, and loved it. And, you know, um, the guitar player who did play was damn good. Um, it, just didn't, it just didn't feel right to me. And I know J- Sean feels the same way about it now, too, like hindsight, right? You know, he, he made that decision at that point, and then, like, looking back later, I know he was glad that we, we got a redo with Ox.
0: So how were the shows back when you were touring with the band around functioning and after? Because I caught you guys one time back in the day. It was at a relapse showcase in Philly, I think at the, the TLA, and... I mean, how, how were the shows? Was there a lot of people there, or did it just depend on on where you were?
2: Yeah, it depended on on where we were. I, I remember that relapse trip though. That yeah. was with uh, Nile, and they were very excited to be in Metal Delphia. Is that yes. that <laughs> night? You remember that? Yeah, yeah. and Doinger <laughs> Escape Plan
0: that, played, and I think the bass yeah. player didn't show up.
2: Oh, rough. Yeah, but uh, but uh, we did play, and Neurosis was on that trip as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that trip was well attended. But for the most part, like, if we were out on our own and say we were playing Pittsburgh or, um, you know, somewhere in Indiana, you know, there could be 15 kids there for sure.
0: That seems crazy to me that, like, only 15 people would go see Coalesce.
2: Well, you know, it was pre-internet. That's just how, you know... (laughs) <laughs> That's Shows how were was. in those towns, yeah. yeah. That's how it was in Kansas City and, and still is sometimes, right? That's
0: the good thing about the internet is that the legend builds. Like, all my favorite bands around 99, 2000 were broken up. Like, Texas is the Reason, Mineral. Bands like that, they, they were legends. You know, they were broken up. I was never going to see them again. And the legends grow and grow. And then you hear about a reunion show happening and I'm like, holy shit. Like, you know, and... It's happened with Coalesce a few times, and you know what? If live music ever opened back up again and Coalesce played another show, it would be there again.
2: Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think that's, I don't think it's going to happen. But, but Now, but cool. do, you
0: say, do you say it's not going to happen because of COVID, or do you think oh, there's not more Co- Coalesce shows in the future?
2: I don't think there's Coalesce shows in the future. I, I hope that I'm wrong about that. I would, I would love to do it. I just think that... Um, you know some of the other fellows are at different stages of their life and they're just really not interested in in rehashing it and you know you got to know when to
0: like step away right yes it's disappointing news but how, oh, well no more shows but what do you think of maybe another recording at some point maybe <laughs>
2: <laughs> well I, I wouldn't plan on but you know i've been i've been wrong before you know and when uh, the other dude came in and, and played on that tour instead of Jess, like I would have said at that point, there's no reason Jess is ever coming back, but, but he did. So, um you know, it's possible.
0: Never say never. That's what they That's say, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take it back a little bit. So you're in Coalesce and then you're starting to form the casket lottery. Tell us how that came together.
2: Well, so Stacy Hilt, who was the original bass player of Coalesce, um, When he left Coalesce, he and I were um, always in the van, you know, listening to bands like Giant's Chair and Boy's Life and Shudder to Think and Kill Creek. And we always kind of talked about like doing something, you know, along those lines. And when Coalesce started slowing down and eventually breaking up, um, that's when we kind of got together and and had time to to work on some of this stuff. So, that's kind of how it started. Um, You know, like I said, you know, Sean was the one who had a baby at that point and I was still a kid. I was still like, raring to go on tour. Like, tour was fun, right? So, I just wanted to do it as much as I could. Um, So, that's why we started. That was the intent was just to um, make some music that was more, you know, our own Natural writing uh, style and and have opportunities to go out and travel and 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 see friends more often.
0: Even though I listened to so much hardcore and associated genres, all the heavy stuff, I always wrote more emo post hardcore type stuff. So whenever I was starting a band, that's kind of what I had in mind. Now, had you sung in a band prior to Casket Lottery?
2: No, and that was never the plan like <laughs> uh Stacy and I traded off some vocal duty there starting you know at, at the very beginning but we always thought eventually we're going to find a different singer we're going to find somebody who can do this job mm-hmm. um but then we we just kept going and and we just kind of got past that point um just never found that right person you know
0: yeah and how how did you deal with that because I I put out a record two years ago, the first ever where I was singing. I was the front person, and it was fucking terrifying. I never knew if I sounded good or bad. Sometimes I thought it was great. Sometimes I thought it was horrible. And in the studio was a real struggle, too. Like, some songs just weren't working, and I had to come up with a new range on the spot. How, how did you make it work?
2: A lot of trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, but all of those struggles that you just mentioned, like, they they still happen, you know, and and they're things that um, I had to figure out or still figure out or still struggle with, you know. Um, Writing a song in your correct vocal range, like, that's something that I did for way too long Um, and eventually, like, figured out. I, a, a, I can't write a song in my bedroom because it doesn't translate. Like as soon as you get to the practice space, like you're singing way too low and it sounds boring. Yep. Or like you have this grand vision of like how well you can sing, and then you then you actually belt it out, and you're like, that's not that's not going to happen. There's words <laughs> there, you know, you, you know. So I stopped writing so many songs at home and and did more at practice, at at least the initial, like, vocal melody. And and then I knew what I was working with. Um, But to get comfortable with with being the vocalist is like, that's a struggle. And it's, I'm not, I'm not a naturally confident person. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like talking on the microphone, you know, in between songs. I'm not that guy, you know, so... um, yeah, it's still a struggle. And, you know, for the most part, I've gotten a lot better, but I've got a long ways to go too, you know?
0: So, how did you improve? Did you ever take any lessons or did you just talk to people? Like me, I just did it. I just kept doing it until I found something that I felt like worked in my mind and that was it.
2: Well, I think the biggest... Thing that I did was trial and error. I figured out like all the ways that I was fucking up, and like mm-hmm. just kept a mental list of how not to do things. Yeah. And then um, uh, I never took vocal lessons. I never, um, I never really put that much effort into it, other than I didn't want to embarrass myself in public anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so I just like learned lessons along the way and took notes.
0: Well, I have to say it works, and I think from the very start, it just sounds awesome. Choose bronze what a What a debut! How did it feel to be out on the road, touring, playing that first record? How was the response?
2: um I think it was okay i mean honestly those those first tours was all about us just going out and traveling and, and meeting friends i don't even remember like ever feeling like oh that was a great show that we played on that tour in, in California. I don't remember any of that, you know, it was just, um, it was the reason we were in town. Um, but it wasn't about, um, like uh, an amazing performance. I don't remember any of those happening, you know, it was, and and the very beginning of the casket all the shows we were playing, um, we were working on the next record, like always perpetually just, um, you know, even on that Choose Bronze tour, when we went out, we already had Moving Mountains written. So, we pretty much just went out and played Moving Mountain songs and then recorded them right when we got home from tour. Wow. Um, yeah, that was just like where we were at um, as a creative unit at that point. Um, Choose Bronze songs were old by the time we were on tour, you know, <laughs> so we were moving past it.
0: That makes sense because I remember you guys back in the day, you would put out material at a pretty quick pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: and I just loved to be in the studio. I loved, I loved that process. So, um, so that was like the carrot, you know, that we were always just chasing. All right, let's write the next thing so we can get back and, and do more of that fun thing.
0: That's the best part, is being in the studio, everything that's been bouncing around in your head, you're finally hearing it come to life. I'll never forget hearing one of the first songs I wrote in this last band, Come to Life. And I was like, holy shit, there it is.
2: Yeah, right. Or like, do you have that moment um, from your recording experience where the song isn't how you pictured it and you it's it's now this completely different thing that you weren't anticipating and it has this new sound on top of it? Or it's not a heavy song, all of a sudden you stripped it down and it's this other thing. Like, those are the moments too where it's like, that's the creative um, piece is, is, is where I really get off on it
0: absolutely or in my first band the song i wrote it, it just wasn't coming it's a long song it, you know there's a lot to it it just wasn't coming together and i was really scared it was going to be a disaster and then somehow in the studio it was finished it all came together it came out perfectly so when you throw that hail mary pass and it and it comes out well too that's that's a great feeling
2: Yeah, or the flip side of that is when you have a great song that you've you've written that you think is just so great, and it's one of the best songs for this next session that you're going into recording, and then you do the session, and you're like, that's the dog. Like, that song sucks. Like That (laughs) didn't work at all. You know, these three other songs are way better than that one. I don't know what happened, you know. That happens too.
0: So how does it feel to be in two bands that are so great? Now, at one point, you could be like, I'm playing bass and coalesce, I'm out with coalesce, we're playing coalesce sets, and then be like, boom, gonna put down the bass, pick up a guitar, I'm playing Casket Lottery. Have you ever thought about that? Well, you
2: keep in mind that, like, we're still going out and playing to, like, 20 people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's I'm not in the Foo Fighters or anything, you know? <laughs> so, like... uh I like the music that I've made and and I like the the bands that I'm in and I like the people that I'm hanging out with and and uh I'm always excited when when other people are excited about those things too but um it's not very hard to stay humble when you're sleeping on wheel wells and and um the show got canceled in Pittsburgh you know what I mean it's <laughs> yeah, you know you're um, still
0: playing to cra- you're playing to crowds of only 20 people I find that hard to believe uh, sure it happens yeah yeah
1: do you ever get i always think about this like nathan do you ever like look online and see like people selling coalesce stuff and you just go oh i should have held on to some more of those shirts because <laughs> 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 it's like I, I i constantly look for uh i i found a shirt on ebay probably like four years ago and it was from uh functioning on impatience and it's the one with the rib cage in the front and mm-hmm. uh I remember I got it and I was like, oh, that's really awesome. I think I paid like, I don't know, $25 for it. And uh, I remember like uh, I, I posted a picture of it on Facebook. And uh, I, I'm part of this like Facebook group called Hardcore Merch. And people were like, I'll pay you $85 for that. And I was like, huh. no. <laughs> like, I, just, I literally just got this. What are you doing? <laughs> like, but people go nuts for that. It's like the the stuff that reminds them of their youth and it's like they're willing to pay top dollar now because you know people have like full-time jobs and they they have disposable income and it's like holy cow dude like i just remember buying shirts at shows where i paid you know 15 or 20 bucks for the shirt and then you see them on like these like sites and people are like yeah don't lowball me i know what i got and i'm like All right, well, let me look at some of the offers. And (laughs) you see the offers and people are like $130 for the shirt. I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) That's the most insane thing I've ever seen. Like I just didn't, you just don't think about like that type of stuff. Like, cause you think like I associate it with like my youth and like stuff that I loved. And then you see people profiting from it and you're like, ugh, that's (laughs) (laughs) kind of dirty about that. And I think people need to be better about Google searching that shit
2: because a lot of those, a lot of that stuff's available still, like somewhere, you know, you can find it. Um, we, we've we got a, a Casket Lottery Touche Amore split up in our merch store, like still from the, the first press, right? Mm-hmm. And people are like on eBay buying those, you know, Touche fans for like $30. And I was like, dude, it's, I, I've got it for six bucks in the fucking merch store. <laughs> like It's it's still the first press, I promise. Like,
0: I always check the band page, the Merch Now page, the Bandcamp first, the label page. You know, I, I want legit stuff, because there's a lot of cheap-looking bootleg stuff out there, too. So let's talk about the new Casket Lottery record that's coming out, Short Songs for End Times. So when when is it coming out?
2: Uh, Release date is November 6th.
0: November 6th. And we've got two singles out now. On yep. Spotify. Now, are those on YouTube as well, so Tommy can listen to them? He, uh, he uh, doesn't mess with Spotify.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're on YouTube, Tommy. Nice. <laughs>
0: That's good. So let's talk about the record. Is there, is there a central theme, or do you take it like song by song?
2: There really isn't a central theme. Um, obviously, it, it's a section of, of my life, yes. so there, it is there is a thread through it all for sure. Um, But I know that... uh, I I tend to keep my lyrics and concepts a little bit vague intentionally. Um, I just find that uh, that's better for everyone. (laughs) You know, I think um, uh, there's, there's a handful of songs that I've written in the past that are probably a little bit too personal. And like, in hindsight, I... You know, I, I regret like saying some of the things that I said. I was a little too honest, mm-hmm. um, so I tend to keep things vague, and I also tend to um, not explain lyrics. You know, I, I think it's more important for people to get their own meaning out of out of each song. You know, I love to. I love it when people come up and I'm like, oh, I love x song because it means this to me and i'm like holy shit that's weird like (laughs) i don't know how you got that but but uh you know i appreciate it and like i would never want to take that from somebody you know um but yeah you know this record lyrically um, and we initially, like, the working title was Short Songs for End Times because we thought it was funny. Yes. And by the time we wrapped up, it w- either, you know, we went into lockdown. It was like, well, we're not changing that. Like, this
1: is, <laughs> became a little it's, bit more
2: relevant at that point. You're like, wow, this is deadly accurate. It's real all of a sudden. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just look around America for the last three years and that's what the record's about.
0: right. Right. Yeah. I, I typically write about what's ever going on in my life at that time. The record that I put out two years ago, I had just, I was horribly addicted to drugs and alcohol for a long time. And I finally got clean and sober and got over that. And it was kind of the story of that journey, you know, uh, getting off of it, going back to it, getting off of it for good, dealing with the after effects, uh, dealing with people after that it was kind of the story of that whole journey so what what are some struggles you've had to overcome if you're willing to share them
2: i think just being a person you know i and i mean you know keith like uh, uh, that's uh, an incredible journey you've been on and and i appreciate that you shared it and you know i think that um anybody who has to overcome something like that like kudos to you And and of course, you're going to write a record about that. Like, Mm -hmm. what else are you going to write about? Either you're going to write about your personal struggles and your triumphs, or you're going to write about, you know, like, fucking Hobbits or, like, some (laughs) other, like, weird concept (laughs) album, right? Like, you have to, like, come from personal experience. Um, And, you know, everybody has stories or struggles or things that they've felt like they've had to overcome. And I think that that's, you know, completely natural to to write, write about and, and especially in a, in a band like this where like I've got you know like two volumes and they're both fucking loud so like I'm gonna be <laughs> yelling about something so you know it, it's it's obviously not about how great my day was you know
0: right and coming from hardcore and that background we have to have been through some shit like I never met anybody in hardcore who I don't know everything was just okay they're just they're just doing it for fun
2: well i you know i I think i I was half joking when I said uh, it's about being a person and being a person is hard, but yes, that's the truth of it and you know i I haven't had any major traumas in my life. I grew up in a completely lov- loving household mm-hmm. um and you know my both my parents are still together they've always been supportive um but i've still got shit to work out you know i've i've got things that i'm angry about and i've got um things that freak me out and and that's just being a person yes. i know that there are plenty of people out in this world who have far more uh, you know damage that they've overcome you know, in, in their lives. And I'm not discounting anybody's story and I'm definitely not putting uh, my struggles up against anyone's. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still real. It's real to me. Everybody's experience is real. And I talk, I talk to my oldest um, kid about this all the time because, um, you know, it's, it's a heavy time right now. And, and, You know, to struggle with depression right now seems um, completely valid, no matter how loving your household is.
0: How many kids do you have?
2: I have two. I have uh, a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old.
0: You know, my my girlfriend has a 14-year-old daughter, and oh boy, it's an interesting situation for me. Her father, sadly, is not in the picture anymore. He passed away from cancer, so it's the mother and... I've been with her for the past year, and it's—raising it's, it's raising a teenager is hard enough, but it just—I think it's just even more difficult in these times because, shit, like, you can't go outside. You can't do anything. Uh, everything has to be on Zoom. There's no school. The country is out of control. There's a crazy person in office. It's It just seems like, you know, pandemic. It's one thing after another. How, how do you come to terms with all that, Nathan? How do you— how do you talk to your kids you know it's
2: hard yeah. it, it really is it's con- it's a confusing time um and you know qu- quite honestly like before the election of 2016 like we would talk about you know what was what was happening and my oldest would say uh, this guy's gonna win the election and it's like no fucking way this guy is not winning the election don't worry about it yeah. like there's too many people who know better and then i woke up that next day and shit was different mm-hmm. and um it, you know it it's a completely different conversation now like I, I don't know what's gonna happen you know and um you can't always just paint a rosy picture for the, the kids you know if it's um, especially now, yeah, it, it's it's fucking scary.
0: It is, and what this whole thing has taught me, both that election and this pandemic thing, is always expect the unexpected. I never imagined that everything would just end. Going outside, live music, and I live in a bubble in in Brooklyn. Like I, you know, mo- mo- a lot of most people here, most people I talk to share the same mindset. So I was sure the election would not go the way it went. And I, I'll never forget waking up that morning. I was high, and I was kind of out of it. And I heard my roommate upstairs talking, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to pretend that uh, this didn't happen. And I was like, uh-oh, it happened.
2: <laughs> it sure did. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, it blew everybody's minds, right? And yeah. um, I, I, was, I was up late election night and watched it. Yeah. go down and like I just I didn't even sleep that night you know and um and and quite honestly uh, I haven't slept much since then like just just to be completely transparent like it 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 changed my whole world mm-hmm. like I this was not the place that I thought I was living yeah this is not the people that I thought I knew you know right um and how like disheartening is it
0: I've never experienced that before where someone will identify with a particular mindset or candidate and it completely changes my entire view of them. And I try not to get into, I'm never going to talk to this person again and that kind of stuff, because if you're doing that, you're going to limit, severely limit the number of people you talk to. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone is outwardly racist or dangerous to other people, it's not someone I'm going to associate with. But I don't know, man. I just try to, as best I can, I just try to push forward and get along with people and and do my part to make sure you know i'm helping things as much as i can
1: i think this is the thing that kind of got me was i was with my daughters uh when we watched the presidential debate and we were like sitting around the tv and we were just watching it and my my daughters are young so i have twins that are six and uh we have a baby that's one so the baby was asleep but i remember eleanor looked at me and she went are they supposed to yell so much? And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is this is not what it used to be. And, and I say used to be like it's forever ago. One president ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you remember? Like, I always thought about this. Like, is the the president acted presidential? They acted with a certain amount of decorum. Like they, they held themselves to a, a higher standard. And now you just go. Dude, this guy says crazy shit. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say anymore. Like, sometimes like people send me like, uh, you know, like memes and it'll be like, hey, here's a Trump tweet. And I'm like, I have to double check it because, like, sometimes I look at it and go, there's no way he tweeted that.
0: And then, I just assume it's real now. Okay. And then, yeah. If Nine someone-
1: times out of ten, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's really scary because you look at it and you go, he didn't say. There was one that I was like, look, I'm not the most political person in the world, but he said something like, um, Oh God, I, I wish I could look it up, but it said, he said something like, look, if you're living in suburbia and living the American dream right now, um, don't worry. Uh, I'm going to make sure everything stays the way it is. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) That was a really, um, could you not? That was not a. That was not very. You know, like when people usually say things and they try to you want know, you infer something. Like they they kind of dance it around it a little bit. Like this was just like, hey, you like the way things going? Cool. I'm gonna keep it that way. And I was like, I think a lot of people are kind of upset with the way things are going. <laughs> like it seems seems that literally there's riots it's happening. A like, rough here, dude. Yeah. Read, the, read the room, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's very strange, and it's 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 really hard, especially with younger kids. Like trying to explain to them uh just pol- like you know politics in general and who what these people represent you know why do we have this system and the kids are like so wait a minute why do- why can you these are the only two people to pick from and i'm like yeah and they're like is every country like this i'm like no <laughs> like yeah. no, some countries
0: you only have one bad person to pick yeah from.
1: I, like, see, I i said sometimes I-, I said you know in in places like uh you know other places they have representational things where like literally various parties will win so like they don't necessarily just have you know democrats or republicans like you know i think right now in in england they actually have someone that's in the house of commons that is actually like is an elected they're I, i think their actual platform is like uh they're social communists and i was like that seems reasonable like people have like the ability to like hey, I think this guy represents my beliefs the best. I want this person in office. And it's like, yeah, you may not get everything you want and you may actually not get anything you want, but at least to have a voice that represents what you feel you want embodied, especially in decisions that affect you on a day-to-day basis, it's like, Wow, like this the whole system seems kind of out of whack. We elect these people that then go do whatever the hell they want and I'm like, "Wait a minute, you're supposed to represent me. Where's my where's my part in this?" Like it's a it's a uh, that representational republic or whatever, you know, our actual constitution says is 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 very is a very strange Kind of way to rule a country, and I think now we're kind of seeing, you know, what are the long-term ramifications of having a, this two-party system, and it's very- well, it feels like the end, but I, <laughs> but it, but I hope it's not.
0: If, if you know, it feels like end times, like things are winding down. What do you guys think?
2: I think there is one possible outcome that could be amazing here just one though that i've thought about this for three and a half years now
0: mm-hmm.
2: if at some point and it's got to be soon because the joke's getting old andy kaufman takes off his mask
0: <laughs> oh, and
2: and no. he's just like you're all's political systems fucked <laughs> <laughs> i was able to fuck all your shit up
1: you know that's, what? The, only,
2: that's the only possible way that this is awesome Everything, uh, otherwise, is just as bad as we think
0: it is. That would be incredible. My my secret hope that will probably never happen is that the people finally stand up together and demand real, tangible things. You know, no more how can we afford it. We have health care. We take care of people. We smash capitalism. We do away with uh, Democrats and Republicans and our losing political system. And we we overthrow, we overcome... Uh, like they did in Iceland when the government bankrupted the country and they just overthrew it. I want us to do that. <laughs> you guys think that'll happen? I think the
2: biggest challenge with that is there's so many supporters Yes. Um, now who, you know, uh, feel like it's their duty to guard the system as it is yes. with whatever automatic rifles they have.
0: Yes. So many people, it's weird... Like, people will be like, oh, North Korea is brainwashed. But we've been conditioned to believe in this country that if we tax billionaires, it's socialism. No, that's just paying taxes. Yeah.
1: It's just, it's a very strange thing. I actually, uh, I read this whole thing about how they tried this same idea in like the Late twenties where they were like, we're going to raise the income tax on people earning, you know, whatever the, that amount of money, like billionaires, uh, in, you know, adjusted for inflation Mm -hmm. and the people at the, that have made that much money. Aren't stupid. So they find all these things to shelter their money within. So like whether it's tax shelters or moving their money to offshore accounts or investing in things that are, you know, tax deductible or tax free, Um, you know, uh, it it was one of the the things they kept pointing to is like, you know, people buy these art collections and, you know, they'll spend 70, 80, $90 million on an art collection. And what they do with it is they purchase it and then they donate it to a museum for a specific period of time, say five to seven years. And then they get that art collection back and they've paid no taxes on it because it, <laughs> you know, cause it, it, it performed a public service. People were able to go and look at it for, you know, a certain amount of time. And it's like, yeah, but you still own it. <laughs> you never well, stopped remember, owning it. <laughs> like, remember a couple of years ago when that
0: whole offshore network was revealed and everyone oh, was yeah. involved in it oh, and yeah. then just nothing happened with it?
1: Yeah, remember that time everybody got the, like the you know there was all those hedge funds and uh, and the entire uh, banking system went to hell and basically one guy went to jail. <laughs> it's like wait a minute, like, yeah. Let's see, this whole thing was corrupt from the top down, and no one's getting in trouble. In fact, people are getting like payouts and then going on to other careers. It's like
0: that's you- what really changed how I perceive. Politics and things in this country, that 2008 financial crisis. But Nathan, do you have any large offshore accounts where you're hiding money? I do not. No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. So, yeah, record's
2: not out yet. (laughs) Ah, yes.
0: Soon, soon. So, what do you do when you're not touring or writing?
2: Uh, so uh, I'm a dad, firstly. Uh, mm-hmm. That takes up a lot of time. And I'm also a, a store manager at Whole Foods here in Kansas City.
0: Oh, nice. How long have you been doing that?
2: Oh, forever. You know, I, I first started, actually, I was with Wild Oats. So, there was a, a merger like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it was the, it was the job that I had when I was in town from touring. It was the place that allowed me to leave town for three weeks to two months and then come back and have a job. And then eventually I had kids and I wanted to be around a lot more. So I just started being at the store more often and, and moving up and, um, yeah. So I, I've been with, you know, the company for, I don't know, 15 plus years, something like that.
0: Are you married?
2: Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Been married for, uh, next, uh, January will be, uh, 20th, 20th anniversary. Wow,
0: yeah. congratulations. 20 years. Goddamn. Yeah. So, did you ever have any hesitation about getting married? Because, you know, I haven't done it yet. I'm 38 now. But I'm at least, I at least consider it a possibility now.
2: No, I mean, if you did the math, I already told you I have a 19-year-old and I've been married 20 years now. So, like, there was a moment where it was like, we should get married. Uh, and <laughs> and um, luckily, I was already with... This amazing person who I wanted to marry, anyways, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, no, it's it's been great, you know, for twenty years. And of course, you know, twenty years to be with somebody, you go through a lot. You go through a lot of different challenges and uh, and different experiences. So, um, you know, to to think that you know, just because you get married to somebody and and you're in love with them, that it's going to be great forever. It's like, yeah, it's great you know, in general, mm-hmm. but there's also like all of these things that have happened in 20 years, you know, between um, uh, myself and, and my wife that have been difficult. So, um, 20 years is hard. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big number and marriage is
0: hard. What we were talking about earlier, just struggling to be a person and I struggle with that because my, my, most of my difficulties have been around people, You know, just fear, fear, anxiety. I'm just Uh really nervous in general. Like you mentioned, not a lot of Mm -hmm. self-confidence. I have a lot of that. Yeah, so that's why I got high for so long, to to mask those feelings and to give myself the confidence to go out and be the person I thought I wanted to be. And I did that for 15 years. And suddenly at 35, I had to learn how to be a person again. It's like I stopped... And I was a 20-year-old again. I picked up right where I left off. And it's, you know, the last three years, it's just like learning, learning to be an adult, learning to be a person, paying off debt, uh, learning how to talk to people, learning how to go places without getting fucked up, uh, being in a relationship again. It just, just celebrated uh, a year together with my current girlfriend. And, yeah, there's a lot of struggles.
2: Yeah, but uh, there always is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it like doesn't, yeah. No matter no matter what you're doing or what type of person you are, um, I guess I shouldn't say that. There are some people who make everything look so damn easy, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I think you know. I, I don't. I don't know much about you, Keith. But like j- just um, what you've alluded to in this interview, I, it's impressive. you know, to, to do something. Uh, so drastic and have such a drastic turnaround uh, at that point in your life? I don't think it's very common. It's not. Yeah. I think people, you know, ride that wave for as long as they can and then end up somewhere terrible, you know? So, I, I think to recognize that you needed that change and and full stop, you know, pivot, uh, high fives,
0: man. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of people try to stop and not be able to, and just disappear, or die, sadly, and it sucks, you know, but since I was, since I was lucky enough to survive, and have the life I have now, I don't take it for granted, and I feel like I can do anything now, and that is why we started this podcast, well, no, not really, this is just, (laughs) this this is just one of the byproducts of that, yeah, I just have, I have the motivation and the drive to actually do things now, which is good.
1: I think the other thing with you, Keith, is like you—you like projects. You like, yeah, yeah, you like having something that you're working on. Like Nathan, do you find yourself like immersing yourself in something and then going like, like I know that I get into something and I get into it super hard, and then after a little while, I'm like, "Eh, I don't want to do this anymore.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of how I do recording projects, like with whichever band i'm i'm working with you know as soon as i know like what the project is and what the plan is um yeah i really like i buckle down and get to work and write a lot and demo a lot and and come up with the plans um and then when it's done it's like i i do like tend to like look for the next thing like i want to stay busy i need that thing to occupy that part of my mind for sure
0: yes same here and i've done a lot of projects since I've gotten my act together, band, acting classes, play, and now podcast. And the podcast is great because it never ends. And we've made the crazy decision to do it every single week. So we have to produce.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Keith and I have both have full-time jobs. So, yes. and, you know, and I, I have a, a, like, my family's young. Like I, you know, like I said, I have a one-year-old and two six-year-olds. Like, it, it's a lot of work. Um, the nice part is, is that with this, like we always record at night. So it's kind of like, all right, daddy's going to go and sit in the basement for a few hours. I'll see you guys tomorrow morning give me hugs and kisses. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, that's right. They like to come downstairs now and help me set up the microphone and like the, the, they love that part. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, managing time for me has always been kind of an issue. I I get like really, really into something and I get like blinders on and I can't do anything except for that. And then there's other times where I can feel that whatever that passion I had for it is either somewhat diminished or completely gone. And I'm like, "Ew, I don't even want to spend time doing this, but knowing I have something that is due from it. I'm like, oh all right i have this project now i have to finish it whereas you know a week prior to that it was all i could think about like it occupied every moment of my day um but it's nice with this because it really is just a it's a break from a normal routine like we get to talk to the people that you know make music that we love and then we get to find out about you know like not like you know the goofy stuff like so, what was it like to work on that record? Yeah, it was awesome. Like, you know, we get to have real conversations with people. And I think that's a large part of why we love doing this so much is because it's, it really is getting to know people that have. And I think this is something, Nathan, like, you've profoundly changed our lives. Like, if whether you know it or not, I think that's one of those things that, like, making music like Coalesce and the Casket Lottery have put us in positions where music makes us feel something whether it's you know sadness or anger or um elation but like we get something from it and i i i truly appreciate you taking your time and and creative energy and and making stuff that we you know still look back on and and love and 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 continue to make it's just it's uh, just wanted to say really thank you from the bottom of our hearts because it really is like we've been talking about this and saying like i can you believe one of the people that we've you know you know made music that we love so much is is actually going to talk to us (laughs) (laughs) and not somebody we cornered after a show to be like hey you made that thing that we like
2: (laughs)
0: Like, (laughs)
2: well that's awesome i I appreciate you saying so and and of course i i can I can be humble in, in because of my own personal perspective around these records that um that we've already talked about, but I'm a music fan too, you know like i I love records by my favorite bands um and i, I you know I listen to music constantly, so um I relate to that. I relate to your sentiment there for sure. And I appreciate you saying so it means a lot
0: well. That would be a good place to end it, but I'm not going to do that just yet. Cause, <laughs> cause... <laughs> I just went out of order. I'm so sorry, Keith. I went... <laughs> I don't want to let you go just yet, Nathan. So, so Fair who, Nathan? Who is your coalesce? If you if you were going to talk to an artist and be like, "Whoa, this is this is the person."
2: Well, my favorite band of all time, and it's always been my favorite band since my sister introduced me when I was probably ten or eleven years old, is The Cure. Ah. Number one with a bullet always has been, always will be. Um, I also really love the police and Elvis Costello. Like Mm. I feel like that's like my my holy trinity there. But but the Cure is number one, and I can just always go to any specific era for whatever I'm whatever I'm feeling. And you know I know those records like the back of my hand. You know, but but I love them so much.
0: Yeah, for me it's Hammock. It's a two piece ambient. What the hell, post rock duo, yeah, yeah and they they kind of sound like the Cure at times, and they have such an expansive catalog in different genres. It's the same thing. Like whatever mood I'm in, I can go to one of their records and I have it.
2: Awesome, I'll check that out. Have oh, you ever man. heard them? I, no, but there there used to be a local band here in Kansas City called Hammock. That's, yeah. <laughs> but that's not that's not them. I can tell you.
0: <laughs> check out the Hammock; you won't be disappointed.
2: Yeah, awesome. and
0: do you have any hobbies outside? Of music, like me, I'm an avid uh, retro and modern gamer. Uh, I I was doing acting for a little bit; that was really fun, but it's not really going on right now. I would love to do music again, but it's just not in the cards right now. How about you?
2: God, I wish I had a cooler answer for this, but really, no. Like for me, it's all about um, creating music with my friends. Always has been, and um, and other than that, all I do is, is work and and you know be at home with my family. But, um, like, I don't even like the, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like messing around with computers. Like, I don't even like recording music, you know, like, on my own. Like, mm-hmm. I love to be in a studio. But, like, for me, it's making music and, and writing music and, and uh, putting songs together.
0: How much touring does, under normal circumstances, how much touring does the Casket Lottery do? In
2: 2018... We did uh multiple laps around the u s We've never been to Europe or overseas at all um, really, yeah, never have with the Casca lottery. I did that once with coalesce. I feel like that's overdue for sure, and that was definitely a goal with this new record is all right we're finally gonna go uh go overseas and and uh, support this record yeah. uh, with like full tour cycles, you know, that was the plan. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> but uh, before 2018, though, we were pretty spotty because um, different members of the band had kids at different ages, you know, so we're like touring wasn't fun or convenient or possible Mm -hmm. in some of those years, you know. But 2018, um, Run For Cover repressed the first three records and we were like, we kind of used that as an opportunity to get out and um, hit the road again. And we did East Coast twice and West Coast twice with all the Midwest stuff in between and that, that really, you know, motivated us to... Write the new record and and get to work, and i I, won't, I was hungry for more, you know I wanted to um write a banger and get out and play live and loud
0: yeah, and there's got to be demand in europe to I'm sure you could do some killer tours over there, so man, I hope that's a possibility at some point me too i'd love to do it yeah when when were you overseas with coalesce was that during ox
2: yeah that was so it was right after ox came out, I think it was o nine.
0: Yeah, I caught you guys on that tour and a typical me story, Tommy's gonna laugh at this. I am seeing one of my favorite bands and I'm incredibly drunk and I, I left the show early to go see a guy about a thing, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I think I, I do, yeah. I, yeah, I went to buy drugs. And I wish I hadn't, <laughs> because that was probably my last chance ever to see Coles. Where was that? In Philly, at Kung Fu Necktie. Yeah,
2: was that was that with the daughters? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Incredible show. I I caught at least a third of it, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you live and you learn. Well, Nathan, you know, Tommy really summed it up the best. The, The great part about doing this podcast is getting to speak to our favorite artists, and you're one of them. And yeah, just, you know, so much music that you've made over the years, we absolutely love. So I just want to say thank you so much for speaking to us tonight.
2: Oh, I appreciate it. That's really kind. All right. Uh, new records coming out november 6th that's it
0: all right folks check out the new record short songs for end times that's these times there's two singles on spotify right now so thanks nathan for being here and until next time There you have it, folks, Nathan Ellis. That was awesome. You know, it's, it's great to talk to legends like that because, one, the guy has created so much good music, and two, you know, the, these guys just end up being really nice and humble. And, well, I guess they would be because if they weren't nice
1: or humble, they probably wouldn't be talking to us, right? Yeah, and then the other thing is, is they probably wouldn't have... I, I think that in type of mentality gets you a lot of places in this world. Like, being open to new things, that's why they got to where they got to. Because, you know, they're likable, amiable people. Like, they they get along well with others, so.
0: Yeah, and if you're a nightmare, no one wants to work with you. It's hard to get booked. Like, the only person who can be a nightmare and get away with it would be if you're, like, the top of the top, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, people will work with Daniel Day-Lewis because he's amazing, but he's also a pain in the ass. Like...
0: (laughs) Well, that was awesome, Nathan. We thank you for coming on. Yeah, uh, it was just great to get to talk about all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I thought it was funny was the, <laughs> the cover album thing. Like he was like just got pissed and was like, yeah, we're doing another one. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's a really great story because like we always think those things come out like, oh, there was like a methodology behind this. It was like, nah, mm-hmm. like somebody was just dragging their feet. So he's like, fuck it, let's just do it twice. <laughs>
0: yeah and Sean seems to be a very no nonsense person, always tells it how it is, yeah you know just does what he what he needs to do, and I like that I've always really liked their lyrics as well. I don't know how much you've delved into Nicole S. lyrics, but I really connected with them back in the day because they just kind of question everyone's deal and you know get into shit
1: no, I mean i no, I never really honestly, I never really got into their lyrics except for uh you can't kill us all, yeah <laughs> like that one is one of the ones where it's like. The, the vocals are so up front and it's such a tough guy part thing like to say it's like that. I imagine that being the line in like an action movie. Like, yeah,
0: <laughs> like, you t- know, the one time I saw them back in the day, they played that relapse showcase and the mic, they, I think they opened with you can't kill us all. Oh, right. And the mic was cutting out and you could still hear his voice fill the whole room. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just awesome. well, Hey, guess what? I went into an office for the first time since maybe February on wow. Monday. Wow. How was it? Yeah. It was weird. Because I take the I typically take the L train and connect at Union Square to get into Midtown. Mm-hmm. And usually there's so many people on the platform on the six train and the four or five, just like they're almost falling off the platform. And you have to wait for a couple trains sometimes. No one's there. It's, there's not a lot of people. You can always get a seat. Midtown is still pretty empty. I, the office I was in, I was there was three people there, and I was one of them.
1: It, the lady that works across the street from me, um, she is the payroll manager for um, a huge law firm in Philly. And she's been working from home since March. And she said she had to go into the office to get something like physically get something. And she was like, um, they literally have a list at the front of the building of who's allowed in the building that day and who's not Mm -hmm. like they make a, they make a list. And she goes, I went downstairs and I said, Hey, my name's so-and-so and and, uh, I'm on the list to come in for this law firm. And they went and checked the list and her name wasn't there. She had to literally call upstairs and go, can you add my name to the list? And they called down to security. I was like, well, at least you know you're safe. Like, at least you know it's not like a a ridiculous thing that you're dealing with. Like, you're just they're just letting people in. They're like, oh yeah, go and get your stuff. Like, you don't know. They her. do
0: that anyway, because I, I was at a law firm. I deal mostly with law firms in Got my it. position. So if you're, not, if you're not in the system... For a lot of these firms, you will not get up. One time I was down there and it was like a new, it was our first meeting with this new client, a law client in Philly. And I forgot my ID <laughs> and I was like, I can't take any chances because if I can't get into this meeting, my boss is going to kill me. So my brother lives in Philly and he works nearby and I'm like, we look similar. I'm like, hey, I'm going <laughs> to come by. Let me borrow your license for like two hours. And they're like, they are like, he's like, okay. And I get his license, and I go, and they're like, "I'm like, my name's Keith," and I give him the license, and they're like, "This says Kyle," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, uh, that's my real name. I just go by Keith." <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny. Your brother and you do look a lot, a lot alike. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so I got in. Everything was fine.
1: That's a good one, man. That's a good. That, that was really like quick thinking on your feet, too.
0: Yeah. Anything to not get in trouble at work.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, speaking <laughs> of work, I actually had a conversation today where um, my supervisor, like the person who's in charge of like all the departments was like, hey, I need you to call all the students in your homeroom. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, we haven't gotten physical answers from a lot of people on whether kids are coming back for this hybrid. So like that's like where half of the kids go in for a part of the week and half the kids go in the other part of the week and they're basically online for one day. So the building gets clean on Wednesday Group a goes in Monday, Tuesday, group a or group B goes in Thursday, Friday. And he was like, I need you to call everybody. And I was like, okay, so what am I asking them exactly? He's like, basically, you're saying, Hey, is your student returning to hybrid? And I was like, okay, so what if they're not? What do I like? How do I communicate this to you? And he's like, well, we're going to send you a checklist and you just check off. Yes. Returning. Just let them know that if they start with hybrid, they're allowed to leave whenever they want. So, for example, if they start hybrid and, you know, a bunch of cases pop up and they don't feel comfortable being in school, they can immediately go back to virtual. However, if they start virtual, they cannot enter hybrid until hybrid period is over. And I think he kind of messed up because I was like, well, when's the hybrid period over? And he's like, well, we're (laughs) we're shooting for the middle of the third marking period. And in my head I'm going, that's fucking February. <laughs> like Oh. That's a long ass time from now. I was like oh. They just keep
0: pushing the dates out. Like oh, they yeah. push it out three months and they say we hope. And then they push it out another three months and say we hope. No yeah. one knows. No yeah. one knows what's gonna happen. Well,
1: they're letting people into the link this Sunday. Yeah? Sixty five hundred uh it's I think it's one tenth of the actual seating capacity is what they're doing. So I think it's 60 6500 people are allowed in
0: one of the things i'm involved with reopened after many months closed and the space can hold a lot of people and we're only having 50 in there and it was a lot of planning to get it open and it was a trip man it's so weird to see people
1: again oh yeah it's so
0: weird to do something in real life again
1: i just uh i'm still like kind of like uh I want to figure out a way to work from home for the rest of forever. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if that, if the other people have gotten this into their mind, but I am infinitely more productive at home than I am anywhere else. Yes. And on top of that, with a little baby at home, it's extremely nice to take my lunch break, walk up a set of steps, and literally make lunch for the baby and sit down and eat with her like it's It's so rewarding it's like such a nice thing, and I know people like at work are like, "I can't believe you know we've been stuck in the house and I want to get back to school and I want to see the kids and i'm like i I want all those things too, <laughs> not as badly as I want to
0: stay home <laughs> I can work from home whenever I want anyway yeah." But, to take travel off the table, to take off-site engagements off the table, to be able to do everything remotely, I love it. But, the flip side of that coin is that it's not healthy. Fr- Sunday before I left the house, I was freaking out because I'm going to this place, I'm going to be interacting with people, and I knew the next day I was going to have to go to the law firm. So I was like, oh no, it's too much, I can't do it. But of course I did it. Um... And it's good. I I need to, I need to not be in the house all the time. It's not healthy.
1: I I definitely think it's not healthy. But um, I, at least for me, like with like my immune system not being great, I always think about like I just want to make sure I'm like as soon as there's a vaccine available, I, I'm willing and able to go back out into the real world. But until then, like I I just fear like I really do think like if I. It, if I get it, like, because it's so unknown, I've heard people get it and then been like, yeah, it was like a cold. And then I've heard people be like, yeah, I had trouble breathing. I was in the hospital for a couple of days. Like some people say they don't get their sense of taste and smell back. Yeah. Oh, Can you my. believe that? I, I would. Could you imagine that? That's no. like, uh, what's her name? <laughs> Selma. It's a Selma from the Simpsons because a yeah. bottle rocket went up her nose. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page with Simpsons references. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm right on it. I was going to see, as soon as you said, taste of sm-, or, a sense of smell, it's yeah. like, hilarious.
0: First eight seasons, you could say one word and I'm just like, right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Somebody said something the other day and I, uh, I I immediately latched onto it and it was one of the girls were doing uh, like spelling practice or practice stuff and they were like learning how to spell different words and they were doing singular and plural <laughs> and it was like... Ox, oxen, and all I could think of was, yeah, it's a baby ox. <laughs> <laughs> That's immediately what I thought of, and I was like, "God damn it, my brain!" I'm so like, if I could use my brain for like functional things, like things that are actually useful in the real world, except it's filled with Goodfellas and Simpsons quotes. Like, well, you could. You just need to do those things as much as you watched The
0: Simpsons when we were kids. My brothers and I, we recorded every episode on a VHS tape. And we would watch them ad nauseum. Yeah. So it's just repetition. It's just it really is nice.
1: Like that's one of those. Like, things. Like
0: think about it. You've watched Goodfellas hundreds of times over the past few decades. Like if you if you took a textbook and read it hundreds of times over the next decade, oh,
1: yeah. you, you would be a master in that field. Absolutely. But I I don't have the want or uh, like time. I like I just don't want that. I. <laughs> goodfellas is like one of those movies i just put on like even if it's on amc and it's like halfway through i'll watch it i don't really care where part it's at like i get i get excited when i see i literally flipped it on the other day um and it was it was the part where and i hate this part but it was the part where ray liotta starts getting really paranoid at the end yeah and i kind of wanted it like i just flipped it on so i was like if I'm watching the whole movie and that part comes on, I'm like, fuck this movie. I'm turning this off now. Like, I don't want to watch the whole part till the end. That's an uncomfortable part. Yeah. Then, since I hadn't watched all of it, I was like, oh, I'll watch this part. And there were so many things in there I didn't, like, I haven't really seen before. Not not that I haven't seen before, but that I was like, oh, yeah, that's this part. And <laughs> I flash back to the... You sent me a picture the one day and you were like, where is this? And I was like, oh, yeah, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't know. Like, where is it? You you, you were today, like, you sent the picture. You were like, I don't know, Kensington. <laughs> yeah, it did. It looked like you were under the L. So I was like, yeah. I was like, you're Kenzo. I don't know. And <laughs> You were like, it's the scene where um, she goes to meet Jimmy Conway. And he's like, no, 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 I got some nice new dresses right down there. No, no, no. Keep walking. Over
0: there. Over you know. there.
1: No, keep walking right down there. Past the What is he? <laughs> There's like pinball machines in the one room. <laughs> yeah. It's like guys unloading boxes. <laughs> yeah. They just stare at her. Yeah, it was right there.
0: Smith Street in Brooklyn. Uh, so you want to hear a new review of the show?
1: Yes, please.
0: This is a good one. From Crexcore,
1: QualPod
0: five stars. Here we go. These guys got the chemistry. It gets better every episode. They're like my friends now. I listen to it so much, and I think I want to just go ahead and fix Keith's broken guitars just because I like the guy's pod so much. I would take him up on that offer. Good conversations, good people, personal, quality, funny stuff. Keep it up, Keith and Tommy. I hope Keith passes the PMP. I did, and it was hard. Oh, fuck. I hope I passed that thing, too. That's December, right? December 30th. God damn. And I haven't gotten to study this week because there's other work stuff going on, but tomorrow I will. And, uh, thanks. Thanks, Craig's for that awesome review. That's really nice. And that's what we want. We want this to feel like friends, you know, not, not the horrible NBC sitcom, but like, you know, we're friends. This is something you can tune in and listen to. And you have company.
1: Did you ever meet somebody that's like super into friends?
0: Yeah. What the fuck is that? dude? The dividing line is, are you a friends person or are you a Seinfeld person?
1: Yeah, that can be like a what did you was that must see must must see TV? Was that it?
0: Yeah, but you know, I I run with the weirdos and the freaks and the and those are my people and those tend to be Seinfeld people.
1: Yes. I yeah. uh I I always am like very leery when somebody brings something up especially at work when they always ask me about something I'm like, "Oh, so what kind of movies do you watch?" And I'm like in my head I'm going, I watch the same eight movies over and over again. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I like, you know, uh, movies, you know, like action stuff, whatever. They're like, Oh, if they mention anything, like this one girl was sitting next to me and she was like, a re, she was really young. Like, I mean, she had just graduated college. She was starting, I think in one of the lower grades, like kindergarten or first. And she was like, Hey, we had to have like a, like they gave us a prompt to talk to people around us about. And it was, if you could watch any show for the rest of your life, what would it be? And of course I picked the Simpsons. I was like, Oh, there's a billion episodes. They're always rewatchable and funny. Like, and she was like, she like thought for a second and she was like, I love an older show. And I was like, Oh, okay. What? Like night court, cheers on family. What do you, what do you like? And she was like, "Mm -hmm." just shoot me and i was like that what that, the fuck are you talking about like the david spade show that show <laughs> that fucking like unbelievably like and i'm probably alienating people right now but like i, I can't it is such like the most milk toast vanilla bullshit like i've seen those shows and you go who is the audience for this Well, it was was the young girl sitting next to me with her hair up in a bun. Like, that was like that. She was like, I love Jess. an older show. Like, I, I felt like such a tool. I was like, all right, never mind. I remember when that
0: premiered. I think I watched the premiere. But I'm careful about who I tell about my interests and how much I reveal. Like, if I laid it all out, it would be very odd. I mean, imagine me, someone being like, what are you into? And I'm like, well, I don't watch movies anymore at all. I ba- rarely watch any TV unless I have a day off. I'll sometimes just watch clips of movies or shows I like on YouTube. <laughs> I primarily watch game streamers and speed runs of old Nintendo games or current or retro games that I enjoy. I do a podcast where I talk to artists and hardcore post hardcore and emo. I don't like comedy at all. I don't like stand-up comedy. I hate sitcoms. I won't watch anything on network television. I only watch prestige-depressing drama. And... <laughs> That's about it. How about you?
1: So I did. I, I, I try to like I, I I walk a very tight line at work in terms of like what I reveal about myself, especially with like. But I always do talk about like I, I like heavy when people go like, oh, yeah, you know, he. if you ask anybody at work to be like, oh, he likes like heavy music, like the kind where people scream. Yeah. And it came from I made a big uh, display in the back of my classroom mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I have to find the email. But um. Do you know that line from Throwdown uh for myself for my family forever <laughs> yeah. straight fucking edge like, like i have in the back of my class like why do we do why do we work hard in this classroom for myself for my friends, for my family, forever. And everybody was like, What a great motivational thing. The kids love it. <laughs> I wrote it like I can kinda of do like graffiti box letters. So it like looks pretty cool. And they, they took a picture of it and sent it out like with one of like the the uh monthly like email newsletters and they're like, take a look at how some of our teachers are decorating their classroom. And then, and in my head all of when I saw that I was just like
2: straight fucking edge. Like,
1: that's <laughs> immediately when I thought of. <laughs> like, I was like, if they only knew where this stuff came from. I like.
0: I love that. So you're pushing the straight edge message without anyone even knowing it.
1: No, a hundred percent. It's funny because the kids will ask sometimes. They a lot of them have YouTube channels, and they were doing like they were having an argument one day in class. And I do a lot with statistics towards the end of the year, and they were like, they were like, well, my channel has um, 800 subscribers, and I have a video that has. Um, you know, a a thousand views. And I was, they, so they were like on their laptops, like bringing up the, their accounts so they could like compare views. And I was like, I win. and they're like, what? I was like, "Uh, I have a video on YouTube that I like in the band I was in from when I was younger. Um, I think it has like 51,000 views. And they're like, no, you don't. I'm like, yeah, no, I totally do. And I brought up the video and it's like literally a picture of me, Anthony and JD. And it's the, Say Ocean, not, yeah, it's the audience of one song, Say Ocean. And <laughs> they were like, that's not you. And I'm like, yeah, no, that, that's, that was me. It, like, that it's not me. your video though. So you don't win. Well, that's the, that was their argument then. They were like, yeah, oh, they're right. They were like, that's your, that's your username. And I was like, no, 800 subscribers. That's way more than we have on our YouTube channel. Dude, they have my one kid at school. Um, and I'm not going to say his name, but he has, um, he ranked uh nationally for runescape i think mhm he he was one of the national like rank people and he would he would travel like he would take um he would get his work in advance for certain days like thursdays and mondays and he would do these like weekend long tournaments in like los angeles and stuff
0: i want to meet that kid if he plays modern warfare i need him on my team well that's it we're out of time thanks everybody for joining thanks everybody for listening Tommy, anything you want to say to the people before we shut this down?
1: No. that was a really good episode, and I'm just so excited we got to talk to Nathan.
0: Yeah, I was going to say there's, there's, it's impossible that you don't want to say anything. Oh, like I thought you were just going to say no, and I was going to be like, What no <laughs>
1: that 's no. impossible no 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 i i, I don 't have any profound things to say today i just i 'm just really glad that uh, I got that news about work, and i don 't have to worry about going back into a building and potentially getting sick thats that 's just great for me, and it makes me feel super happy that i don't have to be exposed like that and we uh, can
0: have you at risk the, the show must go on we need you on this podcast you need to write a note to my work i'm gonna say we're big-time podcasters and that you have to stay home and protected
1: so we can keep doing this no please don't ever tell them about this <laughs> oh right yeah, <laughs> yeah. i forgot it. yeah we yeah. can't yeah let's not let's just not mention this at all i think the better off the, the less they know about this the better off we are
0: Anyway, thanks everybody for listening and until next time.